Welcome back to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as always, it's a pleasure to have your company. Today, we're going to talk about a very, very relevant issue, and that's the mental health of everybody, not just one particular group in society, but everybody who's all affected by COVID and all the stresses and strains and pressures that it's bringing with it. And we need more than ever professionals who are actually working to assist us through it, to raise awareness and to offer support. And today I'm delighted to bring in as a guest, Paula Power. Now, Paula is a facilitator in uh, first aid mental health training and awareness raising and helping to build resilience. And she talks about encouraging non-judgmental approaches to listening. She's very successful, she's very good, and it's a pleasure to have your company. Welcome, Paula. Hi, David, thank you very much for inviting me. It's lovely to speak to you. Good. Now, I know, and I think everybody should know, that you've had quite a, or let's use that journey word, but I mean, you've had quite a a road to get here um, in terms of your background and the sort of things you did that have finally landed you in this therapeutic kind of position. Could you just tell people a little bit about not only the events and and issues that um, assailed you in early life, but also later on the inspirational things that you did that drove you towards where you are now? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. What an opportunity to do that. Um, So I guess it sort of started um, my journey, if you want to call it a journey, um, in terms of my direction would have been from the age of about 17 or 18. I was always inspired to travel and um, do adventurous things, always. And I was travelling from the age of 18. Uh, across Greece, uh, across Europe, etc. It was motivated actually by quite a significant um, trauma actually in my life through the uh, death of my my sister, my older sister. Uh, Sadly, she was tragically killed in a car accident, which was uh, obviously very shocking and uh, quite a challenge. Um, But the focus for me was always about, because we were going to travel together and I said, my parents were so inspiring in that respect. We said, just go, go and travel. So, um, so I probably spent the next 15, 16 years traveling um, and working to live rather than living to work, actually. So, um, but I, so I did traveled with kids as well across Africa and Asia, taking them on expeditions in remote country and supporting them um, to become young, self-sufficient, adults which I absolutely loved. Just let me interrupt that for a second. Under yeah. what sort of circumstances was it? Was it an organized affair or were, were you just um, did, did you just get roped in or, or was it you joined, <laughs> an organ, you joined an organization that specialized in that? Yeah so I was um, because of the love of the outdoors and travel and um, climbing, mountaineering, that sort of thing, um, there was always opportunities with really structured uh, organizations that offered opportunities for me to take kids out. So I didn't, it was always very supported. So I worked freelance for about 10 years, working with uh, companies that through schools and we would encourage them to be 
accountable for their actions and self-sufficient on their journey. And the transition was quite significant. But I would support them, and actually I'm still in contact with a few of them even now. Brilliant. These are, these are youngsters, or were youngsters, that essentially... Um, wanted to 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 grow themselves wanted to have adventure they weren't specifically what you might have called like troubled youngsters that you were having to take that one step further even they were actually it's really interesting because i did start with youngsters that wanted that were already motivated to do um adventurous activities and to be independent and then there were opportunities for me to work with young offenders uh on charity projects as well. Um, Remote Parts of Scotland, for example, I did that for a few months, which, um, and again, watching that transition was fantastic and being a mentor one-to-one with certain individuals uh, was quite inspirational for me. So, um, uh, which, yeah. So the observational kind of work that you, you did albeit as part of a, 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 an expedition, if you like, essentially gave you a bank of, began, they began to give you a bank of knowledge in terms of human behaviour and issues, how to deal with um, certain stressful circumstances. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, absolutely. Um, which encouraged me then to become a life coach um, and then do NLP practitioner work as well. So, mm-hmm. and also what I'm doing now, which is the mental health first aid training. So, which mm-hmm. obviously more so recently, but um, I really enjoy that work, so. Okay, well, there were some various issues that I know of that you haven't quite mentioned yet. That I mean, you said, <laughs> okay, across the UK, but you also did a lot of kind of expeditionary work in Africa and Asia, taking groups of people on, uh, on well, adventures, would you call them, or expeditions or whatever there. But, of course, then I think I want you to talk about the fact that you became a Guinness World Record holder, if you could just explain why. Thank you, yes. Uh, so I was, at the time, I was living in um, Hong Kong, I think, and then uh, I came back to the UK and looking for an adventure. And uh, there was an opportunity to join... Um, Normal women, apparently, to normal women. Did you say? Yes, (laughs) Yes, but that was the uh, expression uh, to be part of the first all-women expedition to reach the geographic North Pole. Mm. And I thought, yes, this is definitely for me. And actually, it could have been anything. It could have been going sailing across the Atlantic and or whatever it was. But uh, I thought I'm going to go for it. And so it was a big selection process, and the entire experience took about eighteen months. Mm. So from the initial um, selection right through to reaching the geographic North Pole, it was about 18 months. Mm. So there are 20 of us in total, and we each did a leg of the Arctic. So I didn't actually get to the North Pole, but I was part of the bigger experience, which I'm absolutely fine about as well, because it was amazing, Um, scary and uh, intimidating, but amazing experience so um and that was in 97 right well i'm obviously interested in hearing about it and the experiences of it but at the same time i'm also interested in tying it in with how it added to your your kind of experiential kind of thinking about why you got to where you are today you know because in my view i'm guessing but it became something that people turned to you 
in order to try and share some of the inspiration that you gave from it. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I was relatively quiet uh, about that experience. So when people would ask me about, that's amazing, you must, you're amazing, um, I was very quiet about it. Um, and it's taken me probably about 10 years to talk about it, interesting enough. Um, interesting, interesting. Yes. <laughs> and that and I will talk about that because now quite openly because I realized only through more recent training that um, it was quite a challenging experience and because of this expectation of people saying well it must be amazing you're amazing um, I didn't feel that at all and um, it was quite a stressful experience and it's only through this training that I'm doing now that um, I recognize that um, I was in quite flight fight mode during that expedition mm -hmm, which sounds mm -hmm. really quite negative but uh, but also it's it's real and um, and of course the only reason I established that is because my other sister um, who is uh, diagnosed bipolar I looked at the mental health first aid training I thought actually it would be great to explore how I can support her going forward because I think I know but I don't so I have seen a massive transition in her well-being obviously that's fantastic for her for you whatever but I would also think that it's extra special because it's not everybody who's having a struggle in life like that, who can have somebody that not only cares for them, because lots of people do care for relatives, but also cares for them in a way that has a deep understanding of things in, that, in, in respect of what's going on with them. I really think she sounds like she's a lucky woman and it's worked by, by how you're talking about it. Yeah, I, I definitely think it takes a lot of patience. It takes um, certainly a lot of non-judgmental listening. Uh, it does take a lot of a different, you need to take a different perspective on the situation mm. um, and also um, try and, because I think stigma is massive, really significant in, um, mm. in our culture. And that makes it, that made a huge difference to her recovery, actually, reducing stigma, being non-judgmental in my listening approach. Um, but of course, as well, it's about being, feeling like I'm in a good place that I can manage that as well, because it can be quite uh, challenging, supporting people that aren't very well. No, I mean, I think that um, if anything, for me, it, it would be, well, try this, right? There, there's three things for me that you've just raised there that, um, if you like, underline some of the challenges that are around today, just generally, socially. One is the issue of the fact that there are so many hidden carers in society actually looking after relatives. Um, uh, in, in my case, I know I've tried often to advocate for the tens of thousands of young carers that there are in society who are having to grow up too quickly looking after relatives who are ill. But also you mentioned the fact that, um, it, that mental health issues being invisible, effectively um, people 
get very strange ideas about people who've got mental health problems. Um, they can't see something like a broken leg. They can't see an issue. And so they either, they get very dis dismissive about it, challenging about it, or they don't treat people as they should, recognizing the depth of their despair. Mm. And the third thing would be, that's a perfect metaphor for COVID-19, which essentially is an invisible threat to us that people have all sorts of different opinions about and all sorts of different reactions to. And it sometimes makes it very, very difficult for them to transition through it. Are these things fair assumptions? I think you've made some really significant points there. Absolutely. Certainly in terms of um, where mental health can be invisible, that's, that's really a significant um, and people being afraid to talk about um, a, you know, for fear of stigma as well, but also, like you say, with COVID being an invisible threat, uh, which can create so much trauma because of that significant change, that shift that we go through. Um, and it's being able to adapt to that. And how do we manage that? How do we get through this and support other people as well? And uh, the biggest thing is about how to build resilience. I mm. think. Well, no, that takes us very neatly into your current work. And uh, just reading a little bit here from some of, the, some of the, the, the words that are written about what you've done, it says you've now trained over 300 business leaders and adults to become mental health first aiders, to be able to spot signs of mental ill health and support someone until professional help arrives, which is great. And essentially, you, you know, you, you've got all your courses are online doesn't matter where they are, but in this respect, sometimes under COVID, I suppose that's a, so a bit of a caveat in there. Mm -hmm. But you do provide a safe learning space and you really want to um, educate. That's, the, that's the, sort of the word that sort of comes across to me a lot, uh, teaching, training and so forth, but actually educating people to be able to be that first stop shop. Is that fair? Yes, it, it certainly is. And... Uh, and it, with some of the feedback that's coming through, I think people are starting to break down some of those barriers um, and raising that awareness, which is really important, and also providing, being able to provide hope uh, for others as well, uh, for their recovery because of that knowledge. Take us through some of the things then that you get presented with, because you do group work and you do individual work, yeah? The both. Yeah, most of the work that I'm doing at the moment is group work. So I'm working with certain industry sectors um, and we're working, you know, up to about 12 people together. So it's really interactive, really engaging, um, lots of video content, lots of lived experiences, um, case studies, etc. Um, uh, an opportunity to explore in a really safe environment um, and come away with a certificate at the end of it as well. Um, but also going forward, um, there are situations now where people, because of the current COVID uh, crisis, people want to know more. They, they want to learn more. It, 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 what it does is starts to peel layers off and uh, people want to know more. So as a result of that, I'm now working collaboratively with other organisations, uh, therapists and um, also lots of voluntary work for an organization, for example, Action for Happiness, which is very inspiring. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we do regular monthly group work um, sessions to, again, raise resilience and raise awareness. 
and and yeah so really my passion is around collaboration raising awareness communicating um knowing what to do what's next and uh so i do work quite a lot with other therapists as well and sort of building their profiles as well so Mm. um education and hope yes okay well look say that uh, there's a course coming up for example right and you've Mm. got a dozen people who've signed up for it without obviously you you can't talk about anything specific about them but essentially what would you be looking for would you be asking them to kind of bear their souls or is it there's more of a case of um you'd be asking them to sort of listen as to how they can become better to to be at listening to other people within their particular orbit is it is it a bit of both or are are you actually looking for people to sort of say look i i had a struggle with this or with that or whatever or are you just sort of say well everybody's got struggles with things so but i just want you to to learn how to become a better teacher i think um what happens because it's a very um inclusive space people tend to want to talk about stuff that's happened where they they want to talk about experiences that they can relate to and and bring it to um fruition you know the experiences that we talk about the knowledge uh, and the science behind it they want to add value to it so and what's really interesting is most people on the course will be open about talking about situations like that. And we've all got experiences um, that relate to some form of mental health challenge or um, within themselves or with somebody they know. So um, I invite people to be curious about that. I, I don't, um, and it happens organically. Uh, so that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I just wanted to sort of give people who might be considering, you know, coming to actually take, take advantage of your services, as it were, you know, that, that what kind of uh, experience they might expect. Mm. So they, they would, yeah, <coughs> absolutely. So um, it's an opportunity to come and explore new skills, science-based facts, evidence-based um, learning, um, different activities and knowledge uh, to share experiences and network with other people and also come away with a significant toolkit, a backpack of great resources they can take away and go, ah, I know exactly what I need to do here. I mean, it's, it does take time, of course, because no one person fits, um, you know, we all experience mental health issues in mm. different ways and we're all individuals, but uh, it certainly gives you a platform for giving you confidence to say, okay, actually I can go through my toolbox and, and say, okay, how can I help that, this person? What can I do to support this person right now? And uh, so that's, it's, it's a foundation of, uh, of learning. No, no, that's, that's, I mean, that's exactly what I was hoping you'd tell me, which, you know, which essentially is, then they go back, do they, to the, well, they will, of course they do, they go back to their workplaces, Mm. um, more aware, more empowered, more skilled, hopefully, with toolkits, as you say, and do their companies um, uh, um, underline this, do they actually endorse this, and so that they would become within the company a kind of a, 
a possibly a go-to person for yeah. uh, for colleagues. Yeah, they can actually, um, but of course it's still early stages. I think. I think at the moment, for example, there's something like one in eighty uh, mental health first aid people trained, hmm. and I think for it to be really effective, um, it's got to be a cultural experience and we need to have at least one in ten um for it to be really a, a cultural experience and to um you know for people to get on board with the approach and uh and you know um embrace it as an opportunity yeah so, i mean specialists in companies though are not unusual but and this how that's the sort of slot i was thinking of i mean i know each individual will get something for it from themselves anyway but I was more thinking of um, just to sort of tie that last loose end up a little bit. For example, in many big organisations, especially where, they say, for example, there are children involved, you have people like in schools, you have certain teachers that get extra training to do with child protection, safeguarding, for example. And they're the kind of the, the first sort of next step go to place, you know, in terms of actually taking advice from colleagues. Or then there's the very, not, not mundane, of course, but there's a very basic and understandable, those that, for example, would become fire marshals within a big organisation and have, you know, fire awareness training and stuff like that about how to, if, a, if, if, if there was a fire in, in the uh, business. You know, people who are specialising within the business in particular areas and particular disciplines and first aid mental health training just seems unnatural for that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for bringing that up, actually, David. Yeah, because it's something I didn't talk about, <laughs> which is really fundamental and something I'm also very passionate about is uh, the, the education system. And uh, so teachers that want to be able to support um, kids age 8 to 18, for example, um, because there's quite a lot of challenges at the moment, isn't there? And also parents uh, that want to support their kids. What do I do if my kid, kids decided not to go to school, doesn't want to, is not motivated or is feeling anxious or, you know, all of those things. So obviously I, I run courses around that as well, which is um, uh, something I'm really passionate about as well. And I'd love to um, raise that as well as a, another <laughs> option that I do. So Massively writ large in this uh, pandemic mm. situation now with all the stop, go, stop, go pressures on schools and students at colleges and so forth. Yeah, it's, it's sig massively significant. And people are starting to open up and say, I need some help. And they don't know where to go, which is why um, I've raised my profile <laughs> to do this. So mm. absolutely. I mean, the management of stress has always been um, advertised by all many, many types of therapies over the years. But it's, it's to my mind, there's never been uh, enough what I would have called healthy acceptance that there is a discipline there that's needed to do with stress management. Mm -hmm. Are you still finding that you get some resistance? In the work environment, um, absolutely. Um, and I think it's only when you start looking at some of the sort of stats and the figures around the impact of stress, um, I think it's something like 34 billion pounds a year um, in the work environment, for example. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's got a, 
Yeah. I'm going to stop, stop their data. I'm just like lost no, 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 no. I mean, I, think yeah. I, I, yeah. I totally get it. That's what I mean. Yeah. I, I wasn't expecting any other answer from you because it's yeah. not, it's, we're back into this invisible thing again. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not realizing that. Um, I mean, for example, you know, like PTSD is not confined to the military. No, absolutely. In fact, um, to be honest, it's um, higher with um, with things like for women in pregnancy, for example, it's huge or trauma through um, accidents or any, anything, you know, but it's not necessarily just focused on military, but I suppose within the media, it does get quite a lot of publicity. Yeah. The yeah. highest profile is, is in yeah. the media is with military. But I think, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a huge chasm to get to a, an understanding because I do think that more and more people are recognizing what you've just said, that, that it's got a huge number of causation, you know, uh, events. Mm-hmm. But, I'm, but I'm, I mean, I was particularly interested and have always been, and I'm doing some work now with other organizations to do with um, youth suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, for example, you know, that uh, people don't realize, I'm sure you do, but many people don't realize that by far and away, the biggest cause of death of teenagers in the UK is suicide. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, I don't personally think that there's anywhere near enough preventative work out there, um, you know, recognizing the fact that we lose hundreds upon hundreds of teenagers every year. Mm. Um, who aren't prevented from killing themselves. Mm. And one of the early, one of the things you talk about so well within the work that you do is how to spot the signs Mm. of early stages of mental illness or crisis. Crisis management, if you like. I mean, Mm. crisis management is not an exclusive business term. Crisis Mm. management can be just as domestic as anything else. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. One of the most simplistic things, um, I think, uh, that we just don't just don't know about is if you recognise a change in somebody, you know, somebody that's normally really um, upbeat, optimistic or, you know, engaged, motivated, and suddenly you see a change in them. That's a really good opportunity to make a difference and actually provide hope for somebody. And uh, towards their recovery, for example, because um, and at the moment, the language that we use um, to support people can be quite um, derogatory and negative. And I think um, Mm -hmm. it's that's a massive opportunity to start learning how to communicate with our youth and uh, young people in terms of how to help them, because I don't think we know. Oh, anxiety, depression. And and as you Mm. as you write about yourself, eating disorders. Uh, I mean, are, 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 are hugely swept under the carpet sometimes mm. um, in terms of how society tries to deal with them because they're seen as negative and they're seen as embarrassing and they're seen as, you know, not, you know, just really kind of, they don't want to be acknowledged that that, that kind of thing goes on in my family, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, but, okay, so, I mean, you you've got all these if you like, subject headings. I mean, it's such a massive landscape you're dealing with here, Paula. You know, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, what do the, what do the Romans ever do for us kind of thing, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. It's just huge, the subject matters. I mean, but still, um, 
I wonder how you can, how can you pull this all together? I mean, you've obviously had a lot of experience of this and you obviously say, you know, my doors are open to most of the things that we've, not all of the things that we've talked about and more. Mm. How do you manage to kind of choreograph that within a setting of say a 12 person group, if you've got such a range of, of, of kind of um, conditions? So uh, actually what happens is we, what I tend to work with is people that want to help other people. So um, mm. if people have got issues, then obviously that's more of a one-to-one -one, uh, opportunity really. So um, this is more, this, the mental health first aid approach really is to empower people to, to raise awareness and um, to support other people. So um, we can't be, specialists medical specialists to diagnose or any of that it really is about empowering you to know what to do and support that person and not worry about diagnosing it's just about sometimes just listening to that person just holding space for that individual um, because sometimes we can actually identify problems ourselves so just by being heard and validated by somebody else it may not make an, a massive impact initially, but maybe a couple of days later, you go, actually, I, that really helped me just by somebody mm -hmm. listening to me. No, I understand it. What you effectively, I, it sounds to me, if you want to put a metaphor together, but it sounds to me that you're training mm -hmm. social lifeguards. Yes, that's a really good way of putting it, actually. Yes. Hmm. And, you know, it's up to other, there are others more kind of focused and specialist and medical who can deal with them when you've got them out of the water. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, look, we're coming towards the end. All right. And mm. I'd, ju I'd just like the last couple of minutes to be sort of a bit over to you. So, I mean, we'll put all the details on the, the, the kind of the front of the podcast, you know, how to get in touch with people, how to do that, what, where your website is, who you're dealing with and all that kind of thing. And we'll, we'll, we'll publicize you because I do think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing. However, I want you now to take the last minute or two to actually, um, if you like, reach out a little bit to anybody who's listening, who have got people they're working with who are struggling and how they might sort of think about um, how they're making a decision to come and talk with people like yourself. Thank you, David, for that. Um, I would say it's sometimes people just need to recognise that they're not alone. They are not alone in this. There's people, when I, through my experience, I've noticed that when I start talking about some of my challenges or some of the things that I've done um, and how I've come through the other end if you like people go oh I've experienced that they they can associate with something in that in themselves um, and if we can open that up more if we talk about some of the issues more and more and, and feel um, <clears throat> and be more open about talking about that about some of these things and having knowing that we've got somebody that's going to listen to us um that is absolutely huge i think because i think about myself go, growing up and i the language that i used to hear was uh, just get on with it you know and um 
if you keep crying, I'll give you something to cry about. That was a really, that was a really famous one. Uh, and so for me to reach out for help um, was not an option. It was, you know, I've just got to get on with it. I've got to find a way to be resilient um, and self-sufficient, okay. which is really vulnerable. And sometimes, uh, and some people can manage that and some people can't. And it's the ones that can't, I think. It's uh, knowing that you're not alone. And actually, there is help available. Right. We have responsibilities for the rest mm. of the community. We have, and if we can offer, we should. I think, too, yeah. I mean, finally, your website is, uh, is it My White Dog? Yes, MyWhiteDog.com. MyWhiteDog.com, which you say how that came about, because it's. I'll tell you why I, I was surprised, but go ahead. Okay, so... Um, Churchill, Winston Churchill used to talk about his black dog of depression and uh, which I think is quite famous for some people and I think well I've always been an optimist, a rational optimist I would say and uh, I always like to think about preventative mental illness um, so which is where the white dog came from so I think about sort of positive intervention and uh, so yes, that's where the white dog came from. No, listen, that's fine, and I'm much more professional and much more, much more sort of credible than the on what I thought of. You see, because I thought of my white dog, huskies, and you going to the North Pole. <laughs> but, oh yeah, and by, and by the way, it was not supported. But we walked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, look. Paula Power, thank you very much indeed for being a guest on the programme and uh, we wish you well and I'm sure at one point in the future we'll be talking again. So, Luke, thanks ever so much. Thank you, David. Lovely to talk to you.